Let me invite you to open your Bibles uh, once again tonight to the book of First Peter, the first epistle of Peter. Uh, we have been working our way through and made our way to chapter 4, where tonight we consider verses 7 through 11. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter, you may recall has just spoken in verse 5 about the coming judgment of God, about God's being ready to judge the living and the dead. And now he pulls that thread back through the material here in verse 7 by speaking about that same time period, by speaking about the end of all things. He's picking up on this thread from Verse 5. And what he says is that the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Not near by the reckoning of some folks, Peter will go on to say in his second letter, but near, he will say, in the timekeeping of God, with whom one day is a thousand is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. And The end of all things is near enough, here in verse 7, to give God's people reason, Peter says, to be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things is near. Therefore, because the end of all things is near, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And prayer is the first of three headings tonight, three headings which I take from three Christian callings to which Peter speaks in this passage. In the previous passage, he spoke of our uh, ceasing from sin and living the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men. He spoke in the negative about leaving our sins behind, and tonight he's speaking in the positive about Christian callings that we ought to pursue. And the first of those headings that I take from those callings is the heading prayer. He's saying in verse 7, Since this world is soon to come to an end, be of sound judgment and be of sober spirit so as to more effectively give yourselves to prayer. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now let's break that in two there in verse 7. 
First of all, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment. Be of sound judgment for the purpose of prayer. By which Peter perhaps means, be of sound judgment about the brevity of this age. The end of all things is near, so be of sound judgment about how brief this world really is. And thus, about the fleeting nature of its pursuits. And do that, be of sound judgment about the brevity of this age, and thus about the fleeting nature of its pursuits, so as to help yourself to leave many of those pursuits aside and to give yourself to beseeching the Lord, to give yourself to prayer regarding things that will last, regarding things that are not fleeting, regarding things that will matter for eternity, regarding the things of the kingdom. I think that's what Peter is getting at here. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment. Think about eternity and not just about this life and pray accordingly. So let me ask you, What fleeting things ought you to put aside so that you can give yourself to praying for things that will matter for eternity? I think about this today. As I thought about this today, uh, I was convicted about how much time I spend looking at my phone and at my tablet, much of which time would be better spent in other pursuits, including prayer for things Eternal. What about you? The end of all things is near. This age is coming to a close soon. Therefore, be of sound judgment about the brevity of this age and about the fleeting nature of its pursuits so as to give yourself to prayer for things eternal. How can you be doing that? How can you... In your own daily routine, be of sound judgment in these matters for the purpose of prayer. That's, that's part of this issue of prayer. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment for the purpose of prayer. And since the end of all things is near, Peter says, be also, verse 7, of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And if we follow the thread here back to verse 5, I think we'll understand what Peter is getting at when he calls us to sobriety for the purpose of prayer. Because back in verse 5, Peter spoke of an event that is contemporaneous with the end of all things. Here he speaks of the end of all things. Back in verse 5, where he put the thread down through the material, he spoke of something that's contemporaneous with the end of all things, namely God's judgment. And he spoke of his readers, Gentile neighbors, giving an account to God the judge in verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And now he speaks... In verse 7, of the end of all things, which is contemporaneous with God's judgment, contemporaneous with these people giving an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And he says that the end of all things is near. 
And I think that part of what he's getting at by telling his readers that the end of all things is near is that the judgment that's contemporary with the end of all things is near. And thus, that the day in which their Gentile neighbors will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, that day is near. And I believe he's urging them that These realities ought to lead them to be of sober spirit, verse 7, concerning the eternal destinies of these neighbors. And that they should cultivate this sobriety, verse 7, for the purpose of prayer. They should cultivate a sober spirit so as to move their hearts to pray for their neighbor's salvation. Because the day is coming soon when they will stand before the judge of all the earth. And it's the same for us, isn't it? The end of all things is near. Which means that God's judgment is near. Which means that the day is near when your lost neighbors and mine will give an account to Him. And these realities, Peter is saying, ought to sober us about our neighbor's eternal destinies. And we ought to pursue that sobriety. Not push it aside, but pursue it so as to move our hearts to pray for their salvation. We ought to think on these eternal realities of heaven and hell, so as to be sober, so as to pray. So think about it. People all around you are soon going to stand before the righteous judge. People all around you your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your family, the people that you pass in the grocery store, they're soon going to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And apart from Christ, every last one of them will be damned. And apart from Christ, every last one of us will be damned as well if we're not in him. Picture some of those people in your mind's eye just now. The end of all things is near. And therefore the judgment is near. And if these people who've just been in your mind's eye, if they reach that day, or if they reach their own death day, without having come to Christ, they will be eternally lost. Be sober about that, Peter is saying. So that you might give yourself to prayer for their salvation. So then, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment about the brevity of this age and thus about the fleeting nature of its pursuits so as to help yourself leave many of those pursuits aside and give your time to beseeching the Lord. Give your time to prayer about things that will last, about the things of eternity, the things of the kingdom. And since... The end of all things is near. Be of sober spirit about the fact that your lost neighbors will soon stand before him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Be sober about that so as to move your heart or to have your heart moved to pray for their salvation. And let me just say, Peter's not speaking to unbelievers here, but if you're here and you're an unbeliever, yourself tonight the end of all things is near and therefore the day of your giving account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead is near and i urge you to put your faith in christ 
before it's too late. So Peter speaks here in verse 7 to the matter of prayer. And then in verses 8 through 10, he also speaks on the subject of love. And that gives us our second heading tonight. First, prayer. Second, love in verses 8 through 10. Above all, he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. Now, one another is a reference to love for fellow Christians because Peter is writing to Christians here, you may remember, from chapter 1. And here he calls these folks to whom he's writing to keep fervent in their love for one another. To keep fervent in their love, in other words, for the other folks in this group to whom he's addressing, to whom he's writing. I want you folks, he's saying here, you folks to whom I'm writing, I want you to keep fervent in your love for the other folks to whom I'm writing, the other folks who are receiving this letter. Namely, your fellow believers. Keep fervent in your love for one another in the church. So, prayer for the lost, prayer about things eternal, some of which will relate to fellow believers, um, and love for one another. And notice that Peter puts this above all. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Amongst the other things that Peter says about Christian behavior, stretching back to verse 1, Peter lists this as the superlative calling in this section here, that we keep fervent in our love for one another in the body of Christ. So, yes, you must be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer, verse 7. And yes, you ought to desire, verse 1, to cease from sin in all sorts of ways like the ones he lists in verse 3. Those things are important. But above all, he says, you must keep fervent in your love for one another. It's that important. And note well that the calling is to keep fervent in your love for one another. The adverbial form of this word fervent is used by Luke in his gospel to describe the manner of Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives before his arrest. Being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. That was fervent prayer. And Peter and the Holy Spirit through him says that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with fervent love. And notice too that Peter calls his original readers to keep fervent in their love. Which may mean that they are already fervent in their love for one another. And that Peter wants them to keep it that way. So what about you? Do you love your fellow believers? Do you love the people in this room? Do you love them fervently? Do you take this calling as seriously as God would have you to take it? God who inspired Peter after speaking about ceasing from sin and after speaking about prayer 
God who inspired Peter to say to his readers, above all, even more than these other things, keep fervent in your love for one another. Is there anyone in the body of Christ that you don't love? Anyone that you don't love fervently? Maybe you never love them fervently. Maybe you haven't kept fervent in your love. Whatever it is, bring your sin to Jesus, brother or sister in Christ. Bring your failure to love your fellow believers or to love fervently or to keep fervent in your love. Bring your sin to Jesus in repentance and in faith. And he who died for your sin will forgive you your sin and will help you to overcome it and to love, to love fervently and to keep fervent in your love. So then, God commands us through Peter, keep fervent in your love for one another. And then notice, still under this heading of love, notice that he gives us a why and then two hows. He gives us a reason why we should love and then two ways how we should love. First, the why. In verse 8, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. The idea here is that Christians are going to sin against one another. We're going to hurt one another. And so Peter calls us to keep fervent in our love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins, because love will help us to forgive and love will help us to overlook certain offenses as well. This is not the only blessing of Christian love, but it is one. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And the idea here seems to be that if we are already fervent in our love for one another, and maybe particularly if we keep fervent in that love, then when the time comes for us to grant someone forgiveness, we who are already fervent in love for them and who keep fervent in that love will be able, when the occasion arises, to love them by forgiving them. The idea here does not seem to be that when someone sins against us, then we must summon up fervent love so as to forgive them. That may sometimes need to happen, that we summon up fervent love in the moment in order to forgive, but that's not what Peter seems to be getting out here. The idea here seems to be that if you are already fervent in your love, and maybe particularly if you keep fervent in that love, then the fervent love that you already have and that you keep fervent will enable you to love in the moment when you need to forgive, to love in the moment when you need to overlook offenses. He's not, I don't think, saying love by forgiving, although that we could say that, but that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying love by forgiving. He's saying love so that you'll be able to forgive. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So if you're already fervent in your love, if you're fervent in your kindness to your fellow believer, fervent in your generosity toward them, or your hospitality, verse 9, or serving them with your spiritual gift, verse 10, or if you're fervent in prayer for this person, or fervent to help them with their children, or to wash their feet in various sorts of ways, and if you keep fervent 
in such things, then that love will be able, when occasion arises, to love these same people with forgiveness. So there's a why of fervent love. And now let's notice that Peter also gives us two hows. He speaks to how we should love one another. One of those hows is in verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. One avenue for Christian love is hospitality. One avenue for Christian love is opening our homes to one another. Hospitality can offer our fellow believers a place to stay when they're passing through. It can offer them some much-needed fellowship on a Sunday afternoon. It can offer them a model of Christian family life, perhaps, that they haven't seen in their own uh, upbringing. It can offer them an opportunity to learn how how you can pray for them and how they can pray for you. It can often sometimes give an opportunity for them just to have a set of caring ears in a difficult time and so on. And so hospitality is a way of Christian love. This is one how of our love for one another. But love demands, too, that it be done without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And what Peter is revealing with that qualification without complaint, what he's revealing, perhaps he's revealing that some of the people to whom he's writing were complaining, but what he's revealing too surely is that sometimes hospitality may make us want to complain. It's not always easy. Having people in your home is not always easy, right? It can be wearisome. It can be a lot of work. Before they get there, while they're there, once they're gone, having people in your home can interfere with other things that you'd like to be doing, can take more time than you would like for it to take or than you planned for it to take on certain occasions, and so on. But Christian love will be hospitable without complaint. So, by way of application, let me ask, to whom do you need to be hospitable? To whom do you need to open your home? And when you do open your home, do you and will you do so without complaint? Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's one of the hows of Christian love here. And then the other one is this in verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. One of the ways that we show love for one another is by taking our spiritual gifts and employing them in serving one another. So, what is your special gift? What is your spiritual gift? Verse 10. Each one has received one. Each person who's a believer has at least one spiritual gift. And we'll note here that Peter goes on to tell us uh, that we should use them for God in the second part of the verse as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, and we'll come back to that. But Peter also says that our gifts, spiritual gifts, are to be used for one another, for our fellow Christians. 
as each one has received a special gift and employ it in serving one another. And on one level, that may be obvious enough if we just think about our spiritual gifts and how they're used and we realize that they are supposed to bless our fellow believers. But it is important to realize that that's part of what they're for. For us to bless our fellow fellow believers. This is one way for us to keep fervent in our love for one another. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Now, depending on what your gift is and the opportunities afforded to you, that may mean teaching Sunday school, it may mean organizing an event, it may mean working in the nursery, it may mean giving generously to the benevolence fund, it may mean visiting people in the hospital or in the old folks' home or what have you. But whatever it is, one of the ways of Christian love is to use our spiritual gifts, to employ our spiritual gifts to serve one another. It's part of the calling of Christian love. So Paul speaks in this passage to the matter of prayer. He speaks to the subject of love for our fellow believers. And then also he speaks to the topic of ministry. Ministry in verses 10 and 11. Now, we've just seen that he speaks of our ministry to one another, that our ministry is to be done in serving one another. But Peter, you'll notice here in verses 10 and 11, he not only speaks of Christian ministry on the horizontal plane there in verse 10, but in verses 10 and 11, he speaks of Christian ministry on the vertical plane as well. He not only speaks of Christian ministry as it relates to our fellow believers, but also as it relates to our God. And he draws two vertical lines for us here. He speaks of two ways that our ministry relates to God. One, he calls it a stewardship. And two, he says that we need God's strength. Ministry relates to God in that it is a stewardship and in that it is to be done in God's strength. So notice these two with me. Ministry, he says, is a stewardship. Our employing of our spiritual gifts in serving one another is a stewardship of the manifold grace of God. We are to do it as good stewards. A picture, the classic biblical picture of a steward is Jesus parable about the men who are giving, given different numbers of talents, right? And their master went away, and their master came back, and they were supposed to have used his talents well while they were gone. His talents. They weren't their talents. They were his talents, and they were merely stewards, watching over them, using them, supposed to be multiplying them. But the, the picture is of stewardship. Something that I don't own, but that I've been given charge over by someone else to care for on their behalf. And that's what he says here about our spiritual gifts. The very phrase uh, gift, the very uh, word gift, uh, hints at that. 
These things aren't things that we've worked up or earned. They've been given to us, but they haven't even been given to us for us to keep and use for ourselves the way if somebody gave you a $100 bill and said, this is yours, do whatever you want. You don't ever have to report back to me about it. No, that's not the kind of gift that we're talking about here. Here's a gift that we've been given that still is in the ownership of the one who gave it and that we are to manage for him. Our ministry, the gift that allows us to do ministry and the ministry itself is a stewardship. And we learn that it's not only is the gift a stewardship, but the, the ministry is a stewardship from verse 11, where we have an example of that reality. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. That's where we see that it's not only the gifts that we're to use as stewards, but actually what we're doing with the gifts, the work itself belongs to God too. Because what Peter says here about the word is true across the board. He says, whoever speaks is to do so, is to speak as one who is speaking the utterances of God. In other words, when I stand behind this lectern or behind that pulpit or when you sit in your Sunday school class to teach or stand behind the podium in there or when any of you stands behind this this, uh, platform here, whatever it is, when we are standing to speak for God, we're speaking for God, not for ourselves. We're not to give our own utterances We're to speak as speaking the utterances of God. And that means that we have to look at the text and work hard to figure out what God says and then what God, or what uh, the application of what God says is to the people in front of us. What God says is what God says, but He also has an application for us that we have to think out and be able to say, because we've studied the text and because we've thought about the people, this is the Word of God for us tonight or this morning. It's not our message, it's God's message. It's not my message, it's God's message. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. I'm a steward. The gift that I've been given to speak is a gift that I'm to steward. And the work that I do with my gift, the the very word that I'm speaking, is something that I'm to steward as well. And that's true not only of speaking, preaching, teaching, but it's true of all of our ministries. It's not only the gift, but the ministry, the work itself. So it's not our picnic this Sunday that many of us are serving to, working to bring together and uh, will be participating in Sunday night. It's, it's his, right? It's not our nursery. It's his. It's not our walk for life in a few weekends. It's his. It's not our songs that we're singing. They're his, right? We're stewards, both of the gifts and the ministry, the work that flows from the gifts. And he speaks here about ministry on the vertical plane, not only in terms of stewardship, but also in terms of strength. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength 
which God supplies. The strength which God supplies. In other words, we're not just to use God's gift for God and do God's work for God, but we're to use God's gift and do God's work by God's strength. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. How do you, how do you serve as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies? Well, one thing you do is you serve biblically. And that has two factors to it. One, you do what God says the way God says to do it in the Bible, right? You serve obediently doing it how he says to do it, not how you think is wise. But also you serve biblically in that if your ministry has to do with this uh, opening this book to people, you, as we already saw, you open this book and you speak God's words, not your own. One way we serve in God's strength is to do things by the book. To speak what the book says, but also to do things the way the book says to do them. We don't just make up how we do church. We look at what the Bible says about church and we do it that way. And if we do it that way, then we can trust that God will bless that and we'll be doing it, how? In the strength that God supplies, right? If we want to serve as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, we do our service, our ministry biblically. We also do it prayerfully. We want to serve as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. We pray and ask God for his strength, right? Prayerfully. And not only praying up front like we did tonight, Brad reminded us to do regarding the picnic, but also prayerfully just as we go along. We're going along through the picnic and maybe just briefly remembering and just very briefly praying, God, I need your strength as I walk up to this guest to greet them. God, I need your strength as I stand up here to sing this song or to play this instrument, whatever it may be. Do it biblically. Do it prayerfully. And do it with faith. Because notice what he says. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, which I think may be Peter's way of saying even if you don't have any way to tell that God is supplying strength, you do it trusting that he is. You do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, which means you go about the work faithfully and with faith, trusting that God's going to bless, that God's going to do his part. And so that means... Faith. I believe that's what Peter is calling for here. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. And notice why he says we do it this way. Why do we minister as those who are serving by the strength which God supplies? Why do we want to walk in God's strength? So that in all things, 
God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, through Jesus Christ, deserves glory. I'm not sure when he says to whom belongs, if he's speaking about God the Father or about Jesus Christ, but either way, it's true and it's glorious. God the Father, through Jesus Christ, and both of them deserve and own, and to whom to each of them belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God created us. God feeds us. God provides for us. God sent his son to live for us and to die for us and to live again for us. And that son came and he lived without sin and he died for sin and he did rise from the dead. And he's even right now in heaven praying for his people. Of course, God the Father, of course, Jesus Christ deserves glory and dominion forever and ever. Of course, these things belong to them. And therefore, we must serve in God's strength because when we serve in God's strength and not in our own strength, then the glory goes to Him. First of all, the glory from our own hearts and lips, right? When we serve in God's strength, we realize God is doing something that I couldn't do. God is doing something through me that I couldn't have worked up in my own strength. Praise be to God. And because other people, Lord willing, will see that as well. Or will hear it from our own lips or both. And they will give God glory as well. Whoever serves at the picnic this Sunday night, in the nursery this Sunday morning, as we sing when we finish tonight, as we pray in our own individual homes, as we teach the children in Sunday school, as we prepare meals for those who are sick, as we visit those who are sick, and on and on and on it goes. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength that, which God supplies so that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would be glorified even tonight in these very ways. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.